please turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Romans chapter 7. And the title of this morning's message is The Law, Sin, and Grace. The Law, Sin, and Grace. We're going to read through the first six verses of this chapter. And then we'll go from there. So in verse 1 of Romans chapter 7, it says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God." For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code or the law. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing, Lord, upon this time of study, Lord, that you would give us understanding Lord, that uh, any, any understanding of this section of Scripture, Lord, this chapter, Lord, you would clarify, you would give us further understanding, you would remind us of perhaps of other verses that would support, Lord, that would um, just undergird and strengthen and, Lord, uh, bring to our, our minds, Lord, your consistency, Lord, as far as your truth is concerned. And so, Father, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that we are not bound to the law in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we have known victory over sin as we have died to it in Christ. And so, Lord, as we partook of communion this morning, it is only by your finished work on the cross that we can enjoy, we can know, Lord, with certain hope, Uh, victory over death and sin. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we go into this chapter, uh, we know that many throughout the ages have looked at the relationship between the law and the gospel and have made some serious mistakes leaning toward one side or the other. Some people lean toward the law entirely and ignore the gospel, and others lean toward the gospel and ignore the law. Still others twist the law and the gospel to mean something that it doesn't, and is therefore no gospel at all, because any twisting of the word leads people away from Christ and not to Christ. To ignore the law and the gospel, God's grace together, is to make it something it's not. And the Bible has a stiff warning toward those who are false teachers. You know, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul, as he had known that church to to know sound doctrine, um, he said this to them, In Galatians 1, 6 through 8, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Strong words, and this is a rebuke to the church. Why is it that you have been duped into believing something that is not true when you know the truth? And that is something that we should always keep in mind, always have before us, that when we know the truth, don't allow anything or anyone to deceive you, no matter who they are. The teaching that obedience to the law saves is error. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so anyone who teaches, 
that you can become more righteous, more holy, that you can meritoriously achieve a place in heaven through your works is lying. It is not by works. Other word, and if that were not true, if it were true that we could achieve God's glory through our works, then there would be no use for Jesus to have died on the cross. We can never earn our way into heaven. In Romans 3.10, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. We've covered that in weeks past. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, a few questions just to prompt us as we go into these verses. What does it mean to be released from the law? Question number one. Number two, what is the value of the law then? Because that is a question that would follow the first one. And thirdly, is law sin? Did law bring death? When saved, is the battle over with sin? I think we all know the answer to that question. But those are questions that even today cause people to stumble. That last one, by the way, do, do you, let me ask you this. Do you struggle, do you battle with the flesh, with sin? We all do, don't we? And so why does it come as a surprise? Why do we, why do we sometimes allow that struggle to cause us to doubt, to question, uh, to feel even defeated? And allow that to paralyze us when it comes to our walk with the Lord and our growth. Those are all questions that are covered in this chapter. Things that we, we commonly ask. Things that we are commonly uh, faced with. And things that we commonly struggle with and stumble over. But we need not stumble. We need not be paralyzed with doubt, with fear. We need to know. And to have that knowledge and to know how to use that knowledge uh, to benefit us as God gives us truth is wisdom for you and I. Because these are all common questions and ones we need to know the answers to, all of which we will cover this morning. Now, the gospel of God's grace known through Jesus Christ did not do away with the law, but rather Jesus came to fulfill it, according to Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. And we can now live with the certainty of heaven as we have been saved in and by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Matthew 5, 19 says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We all desire to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Right? That is the very place where we will praise and glorify God for all eternity. So as God looks to us, we want to bring him glory. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which we, he has prepared beforehand that we should live in them. When we obey God's word, it is not because we are trying to earn a right standing with God. Did you hear that? When we obey God's word, it's not because we're trying to earn a right standing before God. We're simply expressing our love for him by obeying his word and living for his glory in the good works that he has prepared for us. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So let's, let's understand why it is that we should desire to keep, to observe his commandments. Four things that, uh, or four <clears throat> sections that I broke this chapter down into. Number one, free to serve in a new way. That's verses one through six. The law points out sin 
verses 7 through 12. And then don't blame the law for your death, verses 13 through uh, 20, and then 21 through 25, is victory is known in, in Christ alone. So let's start out with the first six verses here. Free to serve in a new way. We've read through those first six verses. And, and Paul says here that if you know the law, if you know the word, then you know you're very familiar with what he was saying here. This is not something that is new to you. It's something that is very understandable. You know that the law is binding and a husband and wife are bound to each other as long as they are alive. You know, when we make a covenant with each other, we promise that we will be with each other, we'll love and cherish each other till death do us part, right? Till death. There is a point to where the, the, the covenant of marriage is actually completed or, or broken at that time, and we are no longer bound to that covenant. And that comes with death. After death, we are free to marry if we choose to marry again, we are free to marry. We are no longer bound to another. So that doesn't come as a surprise, right? In other words, Paul is saying something that is just common knowledge. It's, we understand that. Let's start out with the basics. And that's what he gives us as an example. As long as the person is alive, they cannot marry another. They cannot join themselves to another. Otherwise, it would be known as adultery. Again, something that's very common. I love Paul's teaching because it's not complicated. Any, anyone can understand these truths. And so he gives this example. That's why we know if a spouse uh, is not faithful to his wife and goes out and join him, joins himself to another, he is unfaithful. He has committed adultery, right? So we all know that. And Paul was counting on the fact that those Christians who are reading this letter knew that too. It's being explained to us here that in the same way, that in Christ we died to sin, we also died to the law. We are no longer bound to the law, but are free in Christ, having been raised from the dead to new life in Jesus Christ. We have died with him. And we have died to that relationship we once had with the law. And he goes on to say, listen, Evidence of whether we've been truly, whether we've been sincerely, genuinely dead in Christ and raised to new life in Him. The evidence of that is whether we bear fruit or not. Is it fruit of the Spirit that we are producing, or is it fruit that would represent sin and death? Because what Paul is explaining is that if we are still living in the flesh and not in the spirit, then we are not free from the law and remain condemned in our sin. So the question we ought, ought to ask ourselves is what kind of fruit is being produced in our lives? Is it truly the fruit of the spirit? Because that is evidence. We can look at our lives and, and know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know, these are the things I desire. I, I desire to to abide in Christ and for Christ to work through me and for me to reflect his character and, and whether it's a battle or not with the flesh, I know for me to live as Christ. And there is a fruit that's being produced, the fruit of the Spirit. But on the other hand, if we examine our own lives and we realize that the fruit that we're producing is reflective of death and sin. And by the way, that's not so bad when we acknowledge it. And the reason why is this. Because when, it, when, when that's brought to our attention, we're able to choose. We're able to choose whether we confess that sin 
and ask God to forgive us, we have that before us. If we have died in Christ, and if we have been raised from the dead in him, then we are truly new creatures in Christ, and there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we will bear fruit for God in his glory. A person who has died to the law knows they are free to serve God without fear. They are free from the law, but they are free also to be joined at that moment with Jesus Christ. And that's what happens the moment you die in Christ. You are freed from the condemnation that comes from having violated, offended God by falling short of holding it perfectly. And you are therefore condemned in sin. You are freed from that and free to join yourself with Jesus Christ. But we are free to serve God. This is very important. We are free to serve God without fear. Without fear. We know <clears throat> that we can do nothing to save ourselves. Can't do anything more, anything less. Because nothing we ever have done everything, anything we could ever do could have been enough to save us, but we are only saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it is truly a gift. And so our response is not in fear. It's because we've been loved first. Therefore, the one who is truly born again in Christ can serve God with certain hope and not with uncertainty, hoping They've done, quote-unquote, enough to earn something good with God. That would describe a person who is in bondage to fear. But really, love is what motivates the believer to serve God, not fear. So here at Refuge, that's what we always ask for, that if you commit to serving, that it's not because it's out of duty, because you feel you have to do something in order to earn a right standing before God. It's not anything other than out of a love for God because he poured his grace out upon you. He has given you the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. The one who serves in that manner knows God's grace. He knows salvation. He is truly a new creature in Christ and he desires to bless and serve the Lord. So number one, free to serve in a new way. As we saw there in the last verse, in verse 6, it says so, but now we are released from the law, having died to, to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code or the law. Secondly, the law points out sin. Verse 7, as we continue, says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it, Killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law points out sin. So after what we covered in the first six verses, it would be a sort of a fitting following or a question to ask, well, then if the law we need to be unbound by it, then is it, is it sin? We need to be freed from something, something like the law, then there's something wrong with the law, and that is not the case. Verse 12 says, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. You see, the law brings knowledge and understanding to what sin is. 
In other words, the law or the word of God gives me knowledge of what is sin and therefore it gives me an opportunity. This is the opportunity to exercise discernment with understanding when I am doing something that is wrong. That's why it's important to know the word of God. Because it's at that moment to where you're thinking something before you even do it, you already discern that is not the right thing to do, not the right thing to say. And so therefore, I'm going to refrain from doing that. I'm going to refrain from saying what I ought not say. I'm going to uh, restrain myself from responding in a way that is unbecoming of a child of God. And it is because we know the word. This is why when the word is brought to the surface, when it is revealed and made known, what happens is sin is revealed. It's exposed. And quite frankly, I don't know who likes that. Anyone like that? When sin is revealed, you know, <clears throat> when you're confronted with sin, um, you have one of two options. Hold your ground and be prideful. But the second option is yield, surrender, acknowledge it, and receive it. You know, us as the guilty, we, we, we don't like when sin is revealed. But the lawless person is the one who will hate the law. If you find, you know, that's why I said at the very beginning, there's, there's two extremes. Sometimes people hold to the law and, and, and they're legalists. It's like they, they just, we can't, we need to hold to the law. In some, in some circles, they even say that holding to the law uh, will earn you a place in heaven. That is false doctrine. And on the other end of the spectrum, it's, hey, you know what? We're under grace, not, by law, not uh, under law, and so therefore we can do whatever it is that we want to do. No, no, no. We ought to not use grace to do whatever we want to do and to commit sin. You know, when the law says you shall not covet, and this was interesting what the Apostle Paul was covering uh, here, and he addressed, you know, at this point when, when the Lord, when you go into the Word and you read something like this, you shall, you shall not covet. Well, it's at that point that you now have an awareness, you have an understanding Oh, so it's not good to covet. Because it's missing the mark of perfection. Of holiness, of, of righteousness. And sometimes we make the mistake of believing that as we make reference to the law, that it, it's only dealing with the Mosaic law. That which came from uh, Moses as God had given it to him. But God's word in its entirety is absolute truth. And therefore, the reason why Adam and Eve sinned in the garden well before the law was given to Moses. Otherwise, Adam wouldn't have been in trouble, right? We wouldn't be in the place where we're at even today. But he broke the law that is God's word even before the law was given to Moses. You know, our sinful nature is what draws us to break a law that exists and brought to our attention. You don't have to raise your hands, but some of you are very rebellious. I just know, I, I can see it. Yeah. I said you didn't have to raise your hand, Tom. <laughs> we cannot blame God for our sins. Because he communicated the law to us any more than a child can blame a parent for communicating rules within a home. Because our sinful nature is what draws us to break a law that exists and is brought to our attention. Tell me to go 65, I'll go 75. Tell me the, the turn is to be taken at 35, I'll try it at 45. It's things like that. Our tendency to sin and break rules is, is our own fault. It's not anyone else's. And sometimes, I, I don't know why, it's some people, and maybe it's 
you know, I had a problem with it too at some point before I came to Christ is I have a problem with it. This, this book here is all full of uh, do's and don'ts. Isn't, isn't that all that's in here? Do's and don'ts, a bunch of rules. We can't do this. We can't do that. You know, and so I have a problem with that. Why? Because in our flesh, we have a tendency to sin. We want to do whatever we want to do without any consequences. If you don't like standards, it's because of your rebellious, sinful nature. And you must learn how to live in the Spirit and how to express your love for Jesus if you are truly His and have come to know His grace. That's not something that just... All of a sudden, the moment we come to Christ, huh, I got it all figured out. Nope. Not at all. Not even close. You, you know that you've been forgiven of your sins. And it's at that moment that you, you've been given a new, a new perspective of life. Um, you're, you understand God's grace. And it, it's at that very moment that God begins in your life this process of sanctification. It's beautiful, but you have not arrived. Even the Apostle Paul said that very thing. And he actually considered himself to be the chief of all sinners. And he is a man who was radically converted. He was a man whose life was amazingly changed by the Lord. Evidence of the Spirit moving in his life. But was, it, was Paul perfect? Was, was Peter perfect? Was James perfect? Was John perfect? None of those guys were perfect. They were all inclined to sin, just as you and I are inclined to sin. Because the law of God's commandment is holy, righteous, and good, the law points out sin. And that is good because it allows us to discern when we are sinning. That is good. So free to serve in a new way. Secondly, the law points out sin. And thirdly, don't blame the law for your death. Verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual but I am not of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, with that, because, um, you know, of that conflict, um, do whatever you want to do. So, that's the end. <laughs> it's interesting how we come across this section of Scripture, and then we justify uh, when we fall short of walking in the Spirit over and over and over again. Um, when people give themselves to habitual sin, but there's a lack of understanding of what Paul was saying. You see, if you want to know something, if you want to understand something in context, you got to read before and you got to read after. You have to, to understand fully what Paul was saying or John or Mark or Luke or any other uh, people who were, who were used by the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God. You need to know it in context. So let's work this out. Don't blame the law for your death. Okay, so the law is good. We know that. The law is good. The law is righteous. And the law is holy, the law itself. So that which is holy, righteous, and good, so that is what brought death to me? That's what you're, that's what you're saying, Paul? And he said, by no means, right? Absolutely not. That is not what you should conclude with, because it's not true. 
It is sin that brings death. So, who makes the choice to sin? Tom. (laughs) We do. You and I do. The individual. That's why we are the ones who are held accountable for our actions, what we choose to do. It is not anyone else's fault. It is, it, is not the law, it is not the law's fault. It is not God's fault. I remember someone, and I've shared this with you before, when we were out witnessing, said, you know, shame, he was yelling at me from across the parking lot, shame on you, shame on you. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. I thought, what? What am I doing? And he says, you're sharing the truth with people, and now they're account- accountable. <laughs> okay. Now, that's odd, you know. So I, I put myself in that place, and I was like, what do you mean by that? And so he proceeded to tell me, now that you've shared the gospel with them, they know it, and now they're, they're accountable to it. Like, well, absolutely, but they were given a choice to repent of their sin and come to, to uh, a life, an eternal life, and know, uh, you know God's grace and his forgiveness and all that in Christ. But... They were condemned in their sin even before I approached them. <laughs> that doesn't change anything. But that's the thought. That's the mentality. Like, let me just remain ignorant. And therefore, I, I won't be held accountable. No, you're already accountable. We are already accountable. We've all fallen short of the glory of God because we've sinned. None is righteous. No, not one. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance will not, yeah, you know what? I understand. If you didn't know a thing, come on in. That guy, Raul, he didn't share the gospel with you, so yeah, come on in. Very good. No, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is sin that brings death. In Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17 says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And, he, and God said that to Adam in the garden. So the question is, was it God's word that brought death or Adam's sin? It's Adam's sin, Right? It's a rhetorical question. It's something with an obvious answer. It wasn't God's word that brought death. In fact, if he would have abided in God's word, then he would have known continuous glory in God's presence. God's word was good and is good and always will be good. What did it do? It warned Is a sign that warned the driver that a dangerous curve was ahead bring him death? Or was it his dismissal and disbelief of it and his lack of response to it that brought him death as he went off the cliff? It wasn't the sign that did it. The sign warned him. The sign was good. It only warned him of reality. When we realize consequences in... We serve as examples in that moment to others that the law is good. You hear that? When we realize our, the consequences personally, we actually serve as examples. We confirm that the word is good. Whether we like it or not, that is what happens. We confirm that it, it, the word was true. We actually prove an agreement with it as we know the consequences of our violation of our offense toward God, as we deny it or reject it in our lives and deal with the consequences, we actually approve the truth. Reality is that although the Christian is saved by God's grace in Christ, while in the flesh we struggle with the desires of the flesh. Isn't that true? And Paul was acknowledging this. This is what he was doing here. He was simply acknowledging the struggle. That is what he was doing. Paul is not giving himself an excuse either. He is acknowledging that nothing good dwells within him. Did you read that part? 
not within me, there's nothing good. That is a good thing to have in your mind all of the time. When the world is trying to feed you, you are so good. You know, follow your heart. You know, just do whatever you desire and you'll find fulfillment of it. That's, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. It, it is not true. Because as we read, nothing good dwells within us. What this means is that in the flesh, as the Apostle Paul acknowledged this, he understood this incredible struggle with what the flesh is constantly wanting him to do. Constantly. It's this constant struggle going back and forth. Here's where the origins of our battle between the spirit and the flesh become known for the express purpose of knowing that we have to rely solely on God's spirit and his word and deliberately deny the fleshly desires by God's spirit and his word and not succumb to those desires of the flesh and the world. In Galatians chapter 6, Sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if we, if we think about what we just read, it's hardly an excuse or justification for remaining in sin, right? It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So are we able to walk in the Spirit and not walk in habitual sin? Absolutely. That verse tells us that we have the ability to do that. Perfectly, no. But in righteousness and walking uprightly before the Lord? Absolutely. For the desires, it says in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Oh, so that's the purpose. When the flesh rears its ugly head and opposes the things of the spirit, it's to do this, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So in other words, a, a person who is in Christ is a person who desires to do those things that please the Lord. And so when the flesh comes against us, comes against the spirit. And the purpose, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. We know that we've covered that. Verse 19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit earlier, right? Evidence of our salvation, evidence that we are in Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what do we do with our desires and passions? The very last verse. They're dead. Crucified with Christ. We, we cannot... Improve them. They need to be crucified. We need to know that there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. But don't blame the law if you still know death in your sin. Instead, learn how to walk in the spirit in obedience to God. You know, Alan Redpath said this, quote, the, conversation, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of a saint is a task of a lifetime. And so that is uh, the work of sanctification that is being worked out in your own life in Christ.
So free to serve in a new way, the law points out sin. Thirdly, don't blame the law for death. And lastly, victory is known in Christ. Verse 21 says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin." Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us how it is that we are not to be anxious for anything. It's actually a sin to have anxiety and, and to, to worry, constant worry. I'm not saying that, you know, to be concerned about some, something is not sin. To, you know, to experience the, the feeling of anxiety itself is not sin. That is not sin. How we do in response to that will determine whether we allow that to cause us to sin or not. That, that's, that's what we need to be careful with. We can also get frustrated. I don't know about you, but I've gotten frustrated in dealing with the flesh and the world. I, I, at, there's, I have to confess, at times, I'm just frustrated. But what the Apostle Paul what the Lord is doing, what the Spirit is doing as, as we see God breathing his word out is that, hey, listen, don't be frustrated. This is what you're going to experience. And so don't get frustrated when you experience an intense struggle between the spirit and the flesh. Just acknowledge it. You've been warned. You, you've been told. You've been informed. This is what is happening. In case you didn't know what was happening, this is what's happening. There's a struggle between the spirit and the flesh. Learn how to know victory over the flesh as you grow closer to Christ. You know, James 1, 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We begin to know victory over these things as we draw closer to the Lord, as we realize that these are exercises to work all of this stuff out of us so that we become aware of how it is that we respond to certain things and we may be able to, in the spirit and with the knowledge of God's word, do things that are different than we would do in the past. And we would more closely resemble the character of God in our lives. So learn how to know victory over the flesh as you grow closer to Christ. Number one, know that evil is close when you choose to do what is right. Be aware of this. Secondly, the enemy will attack your mind. Your thoughts. That is what he wants to control, your thoughts. He, wants, he will want to influence your actions through the thoughts that you have in your mind. Number three, surrender to God is the only solution and the only way you'll find victory over evil and sin. A surrender, a yielding, allowing yourself to be governed by the word of God. Fourthly, don't trust the flesh. Ever. Don't trust the flesh. You know, two times corporately, we do a week of prayer and fasting here at Refuge. Two times a year. You can do it at any time. It'd be good to do it frequently, you personally, us individually. I remember the first time that I um, committed to uh, longer than one day of prayer and fasting. And I remember before that, um, you don't have to acknowledge this, but I know many of you get what's called hangry. Hopefully none of you are hangry right now. But I remember that, you know, and we can, we can blame, okay, so uh, in our bodies, there's a, there's a change, right, in chemistry, and, you know, we get out of whack if we don't eat and all that. Yeah, maybe that was true with me. 
But I can tell you, I'll blame it on that. But when I, I did commit to an extended time of prayer and fasting, the Lord took that away from me. I, at, at this point, you know, I can go for an extended period of time. If I, I don't eat lunch, I don't eat lunch. If I, if I don't eat, you know, a certain meal, I miss some, so be it. You know, and the reason why is because I know that I'm not going to die. You know, I know I'll be okay. I, I get a little headache, okay. I don't feel so well, all right, I'll get through this. Just drink some more water. We'll be good. The, the body and its passions and its desires are powerful. Very powerful. We need, need to learn how to yield those desires and those passions to the Lord. Just give, it, give those things to Him. It can be true of our anger. Uh, our discontentment, our, our doubts, all of those things. We should learn how to discipline the body and the mind to the point to where we subject them to the Lord. We just give them to him. At that very moment, you know, like doubting Thomas, I, I, I doubt. And the Lord obviously showed himself to Thomas and proved that he was the Lord. And he was resurrected. He was alive and well. You know, even our doubts, even those things, we need to commit them to the Lord. Don't trust the flesh ever because it will serve sin every time. Give your thoughts to the Lord and mindfully serve God with full knowledge and understanding. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So that's control. That's sub submitting, yielding to, and, and giving our thoughts to the Lord. Now, in Genesis 4, 7, it says, If you do well, you will not be accepted. Now, this is, this is the exchange that, well, this was the, the warning that God gave to Cain when he had murder in his heart toward his brother Abel. The Lord said, if, if you do well, will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God, even in that moment, didn't do something for Cain. He warned him and told him, choose to do what's right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 and 57 says, The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we consider the, this last portion of this chapter, that this, this whole battle between the flesh and the spirit is very real. But the Apostle Paul concluded this with this cry of confession. He said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. So conscientiously he serves the Lord with his mind. He, he's thoughtful. He is mindful. He's deliberate. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So no trust in the flesh. Let's not trust the flesh. Because from there, we're going to talk about life in the Spirit. In how we in Christ, in verse 1 of chapter 8, says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we'll cover that next week. So our victory is known and always will be known in Christ alone. So again, number one, free to serve in a new way. Secondly, the law points out sin. Thirdly, don't blame the law for your death. And fourthly, victory is known in Christ alone. J.C. Ryle said this, quote, Saving faith and real converting grace will always produce some conformity to the image of Christ. Do you know that saving faith that is only known in Jesus Christ? And I pray that you do. If this morning um, you, you don't know a victory over sin and death, you can only know it through Jesus Christ. And that is known through conversion. That is known through a, a salvific relationship with Jesus Christ where we acknowledge that he is the son of God. He died for my sins. That after three days in the grave, he was raised from the dead.
today sits at the right hand of the Father as he ascended to him. That he is the Son of God. He died for my sins. Surrender your life to him. Give your life completely to him. And you'll know new life in Christ. So if you don't know salvation like that, you don't know uh, a new life, you don't have a new perspective, um, you don't have the Spirit indwelling you, today, I pray today would be the day of salvation for you. And you can simply do that in your chair as we're concluding. Even right now, as I'm still talking and concluding, you can do this at this very moment. Lord, I confess my sins. Lord, I acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. I ask Him to be my Lord and Savior. And if that is a genuine conversion, as, as we read, there will be a, a fruit-bearing instrument. There, you will be a person who is bearing fruit that shows that you are truly now a child of God. And we will know that. You know, let me share this also with you. Billy Sunday thought this was a great quote. He said, it won't save your soul if your wife is a Christian. You've got to be something more than a brother-in-law to the church. Close quote. May we all understand the struggle with the world, flesh, and Satan. But know that in Christ we can know victory over the condemnation of sin and have certain hope of his glory. That one day, if we surrender to Christ, that one day, one day, we will be in all of his glory at that point and for all eternity. I pray we all know that in this room. Father, I thank you for your word is righteous and holy and good. Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to salvation, that leads us to you. We thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy that we have come to know through Jesus Christ. I ask, Lord, that if there is anyone here who does not know you as, as Lord, as Savior, that today be the day of salvation. For those who need to rec recommit their lives to, to you, I pray, Father, that today would be a day of action, Lord. Today would be a day of surrender, of humility, of asking you to do a special work, of restoring them, of Lord, giving them strength to, to walk in obedience to you and fellowship with the saints and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, for the church that you would continue to strengthen it, Lord, that you would continue to bring through those doors anyone who you wished to, Lord, that we would be a family coming together, enjoying fellowship and worshiping you and growing, Lord, maturing and uh, making disciples of all nations, Lord. May we fulfill your will for us, Lord, as we await either your return or our home going, Lord. Either way, Lord, whether it be the rapture or it be um, that doorway that we know and the world calls death, Lord, we will be with you for all eternity. Until then, may we be about the Father's business, Lord, bringing you glory. So we praise you, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.